And welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 58th episode of the podcast for the week of June 24th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome the lovely New York-based professional astrologer and palmist, Mackenzie Greer, who's going to join me in a discussion on palmistry and astrology, uh, which... I'm so excited to talk about this topic for many reasons, but we'll save that for later. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access to the podcast for as little as $1 per month, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar, Mel's tip jar, on the front page of my website if you'd like to make a one-time donation. You you can find that over at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady continues along in her waning phase as we start out the week still swimming through the impressionable waters of Pisces before heading into the initiating fires of Aries Monday night and where Luna will head to her last quarter moon position, which will apex while we sleep, at least here in North America. And so Luna will be hanging out in this heat-inducing sign uh, until moving into that stable Earth of Taurus on Thursday. So it's a bit fiery midweek, and then we stable out a little later on. And then she further winds down, uh, welcoming that peaceful influence of Taurus, uh, before moving into the thought-provoking air of Gemini midday Saturday and where she will spend the rest of the weekend. So just, just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, at about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, at about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind, you know, timing is not always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it is quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. So, all right, my friends. Well, this week, uh, of course, we have that last quarter moon in Aries, which is kind of heating up our internal fires as the calm before the eclipse storm commences, basically, because we are on our way to eclipse season. Uh, We are just a week out. We also have Mercury ingressing um, out of Cancer and into Leo, 
but only for so long. <laughs> More on that, too. Uh, and then we also have the sun making a sextile to Uranus, uh, which is inviting us into changing some of those very stable aspects of ourself. Um, and while that sextile is happening, we also have a simultaneous square uh, to Chiron taking place. So there may be some potential triggers to work through as well. So let us waste no time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Pisces, and then Luna will move to Aries around mm, about 7.38 p.m. here, uh, Pacific time. And along the way, she will make a sextile to Pluto, a trine to Mars, and then a trine to Mercury. And we're going to really be feeling last quarter, uh, I think, Monday evening, because like I said earlier, it is going to apex while we sleep. So Monday, Tuesday, last quarter days for sure. So uh, also note we have, uh, and I spoke about this in last week's podcast, is that we have Venus squaring Neptune and also opposing Jupiter. So we're kind of coming off of that aspect, really. But it is still uh, very, you know, potent in the skies. And so, uh, you know, to kind of recap a little bit, uh, just what I've noticed of the energy myself, because I'm recording this like a a day before it gets released, is that I got invited to be part of a fantasy photo shoot. Uh, How Venus, Neptune, Jupiter is that. Um, And and, uh, I have a friend that got uh, invited to be on a game show that it's very Venus, Jupiter, Neptune to me. And so there's like a bunch of little fun, you know, mystical and kind of fortunate synchronicities that are taking place, like a, a garden plot that is near my house that is on a long wait list. I happen to run into the lady who works there and she's like, oh, I'll move you ahead on the list. And so I think that these are nice little, um, you know, kind of synchronistic happenings um, that are bringing some positive and kind of, you know, lucky strokes to life. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's still that Neptune influence. And so <laughs> um, who knows if it will pan out, I guess is what we're saying here. But there's been some sweet things with this. So just FYI on that. And you can always go back to last week's episode to hear more about what I said um, in that one. But the bottom line for Monday is, is that we start out the week still floating through the watery flow of Pisces. And even though the energy will be a little on the slower side, as Pisces does tend to bring, there will be a nice energy energetic pace uh, as Luna is both flowing with Mars and Mercury and Cancer. And so making subtle moves and following the energetic current will help the, you know, will help things go smoothly. Um, Now, later in the evening, the moon moves into the fires of Aries and heads to that last quarter position that I was speaking of. And so because it's apexing as while we sleep, you know, do not be surprised if there's kind of a boost of energy that comes out of nowhere. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night or perhaps you have dreams that are a little more aggressive in nature, you know, those types of things. That might be that uh, last quarter in Aries talking. All right, so Tuesday. So Tuesday, we still have that last quarter moon. It's in Aries all day. We're still feeling that tension of the square to the sun. Uh, And we don't have anything perfecting that day. So the bottom line for Tuesday is we are feeling that last quarter moon in Aries, uh, probably particularly in the morning. Um, And as we are fired up by, you know, this energy that is really seeking to push us forward in life, um, you know, we're probably feeling this more on an internal level because that last quarter moon position is known as that crisis in consciousness. And we're kind of feeling that, uh, but it's more meant to be felt on the inside. 
And so, you know, courage is called upon us. We might have to muster up that courage because really a lot of changes are brewing within and there may be, you know, surges of emotion that rise up as we feel an impatience to move on with our lives and to welcome in new experience. And so, you know, pick the low-hanging fruit today to feel a sense of immediate accomplishment because if we lack some type of movement, we may get irritated. And so Luna also triggers that upcoming Sun Chiron square, uh, which I'm going to speak on here in a bit. So this day may actually be a little testier um, at times than most. So just be aware of that. Now, on Wednesday, the moon is still in Aries, and she will trine Jupiter, square Saturn, sextile Venus, square Pluto, and square Mars. So we have a day of uh, an emotional roller coaster, so to speak. Um, But we also have Mercury making its ingress into Leo, but not for long, (laughs) because we have, so basically we are on approach right now to Mercury retrograde. So Mercury is going to station to go retrograde on July 7th, so we are in the shadow period period right now. Um, So really, we're just going to get a taste of this Leo transit. Uh, So you can kind of consider this a two-part ingress because Mercury is going to move back into Cancer on July 19th and then won't enter Leo again until August 11th, which actually happens to be the same day that both Jupiter stations direct and Uranus stations retrograde. So um, it's interesting. I feel like there's a lot that's leading up to that period. And really, Mercury will not officially leave Leo until August 29th. So we have a bit of a dance going on here. And so yet, while it is, you know, it is there, (laughs) that messenger will take on the spirit of the lion, you know? Speaking as someone with Mercury and Leo myself, I feel like I roar. I feel like I, you know, there's like more dramatic uh, uh, speech that takes place or a little more flowery in nature. But really, we're going to find our minds in more of a creative and an inspiring inspirational place that is going to uh, really function well um, in the moment and in the now. Because fire, you know, it lives and breathes in the now. And so there is that element of kind of being in the moment that, you know, fire signs and and Leo can really uh, play upon. And so, you know, conversations will probably be more lively and there's going to be a flair for dramatic speech in the air. Um, And there will be a greater creative authority to the mind and the focus will likely be on reviewing topics that are close to the heart, Um, especially during this first pass of the Leo transit. For as Mercury slows to station retrograde, we will be mentally checking in with our solar center to help assess, you know, what new life we want to create and that awaits us and how we can find clever ways to align with our heart's desire and bring in a greater affluence uh, towards what it is that we are putting our energy and our mind and our intellect towards. So, um, you know, this is a, is a, a several-part story that's taking place, but we will feel that shift um, from that really watery uh, mental space of cancer that's really aligned with the emotions. So we're moving our intellect from the emotions to the heart. And then back from the heart to the emotions. And then the emotions to the heart again. So we are ping-ponging here. So the bottom line for Wednesday is, is that we spend another day in the enthusiastic fires of Aries. And we may start the day feeling a bit of a contradiction between where we are growing in life and then the constrictions that come with that growth. Because the moon is going to be chiming into uh, both Jupiter and Saturn simultaneously. Uh, Yet, you know, the moon is in Aries, so I think we will be up for whatever challenge is before us.
Now, a midday sextile to Venus is likely to bring in a social element. However, we have that emotional irritation that is likely to arise as uh, Luna squares both Pluto (laughs) um, later in the afternoon and then Mars later in the evening. And so... And especially with Mercury changing signs today as well, we may find that our communications are are being tested in some way or our thought process or how we're perceiving things. And so as we transition and settle into this new energy, you know, just be aware of that um, as you connect throughout the day, that this is kind of a transitionary space. Now, on Thursday, we have the moon now in Taurus, um, and she will square Mercury, conjunct Uranus, and sextile the sun. And so, also of note, on Thursday, we have the sun making that square to Chiron that I was talking about, and also a sextile to Uranus. So, you know, the sun, our life force energy, what, you know, brings us conscious awareness, what brings us illumination, what brings us purpose and vitality and that life force, and really whenever we have a sun uh, contact taking place, I like to look at that as a turning of the page, the energy, because, you know, once you become aware of something, you know, you, you turn a corner in a way. And uh, with the square to Chiron, you know, squares are really turning a corner or we feel like we're backed into a corner or we're challenged or, you know, things are activated Um, and it's really nobody's fault. It's just we're in the situation where we are in. And when we are having this, you know, uh, friction, this solar friction with Chiron, this can bring up things that are, you know, the awareness is looking to confront um, maybe some triggers that we hold for ourselves, some emotional triggers, um, some issues with our assertive experience, uh, where we have to maybe make a, a choice um, that is, you know, hard to make or seemingly painful in some way. So Chiron tends to trigger something within us that may be on ice for a while or that's something that we keep repeating because there's wisdom to be learned through whatever that trigger is. And so really Chiron, when Chiron events come up, uh, despite some of the um, uh, the uncomfortableness that comes with it, there are healing opportunities. And since the sun is also making a sextile to Uranus, you know, because sextiles open that door, we're creating an opportunity, but we have to walk through it, right? Um, and so what is our opportunity? Well, Uranus, Uranus is about uh, awakening something within us or shaking off that old energetic debris because it's time to liberate and free up whatever is, you know, not serving us any longer. And sometimes that can bring some storms into our lives or some unexpected situations that uh, turn the the energy around in a way that we have no other, you know, choice but to look at it differently or to navigate, you know, the newness that's there. And so, I mean, really, this period is likely to likely to feel a bit stormy as we are confronted with, you know, that solar awareness of our potential triggers or past hurts, you know, those hurts that we hold on to, um, whether it was a hurt from yesterday or a hurt from 30 years ago. Uh, these are ty- these types of Chiron energies. And so there may be, um, you know, wounded parts of us that reopen so that we can shine a light on the matter and, you know, get a good look at it. And, you know, through this process, I think that the Uranian component will open that door to help free up some energy that may be giving cause to that storm surge because Uranus can absolutely bring uh, sudden storms into our lives. And sextiles, even though they're opportunistic, uh, doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good thing. It means that there's an opportunity 
opportunity to go through the surge so that you understand it better. Um, and so really becoming aware of our boundaries at this time and assessing how healthy they are and, uh, you know, potentially um, – having to assert ourselves to make new boundaries in life. Uh, We can now move through whatever comes up while also maintaining a strong sense of the self and what it needs, because I think that's what is getting triggered here. What is, what is the self need and what does it need to assert itself towards or, or put up? And so don't really invest too much in this moment because sometimes it is better to ride out the storm than to venture into the dangerous waters. <laughs> um, and knowing not to set sail may be the best boundary to have in place. So keep that in mind. And instead, engage in clever ways to embrace the energy so you may see things in a different and unique way. For there is wisdom to be garnered through this process. So the bottom line for Thursday is is that energy stables out a bit once Luna moves into the grounded Earth of Taurus, yet not before she triggers a conjunction with Uranus and highlights that Sun-Uranus sextile. And so I feel that some of the tension, you know, that that might have been there the day prior or the few days prior will start to ground itself, and we can illuminate new ways of freeing up energy to embody a greater sense of peace. Yet we may have to challenge our status quo in order to do so. So look for creative and practical solutions on a day like today. Now, Friday, the moon is still in Taurus, and she will trine Saturn, sextile Neptune, and then trine Pluto. And so we actually don't have any other aspects perfecting through the week, so it's all bottom lines from here on out. (laughs) But the bottom line for Friday is is that we continue on in the grounded Earth of the bowl, and that trine to Saturn will help make this a productive day to take care of any practical tasks that need your attention. The sextile to Neptune may add a bit of sleepiness, yet we can also use that creative juice that flows in and then pair it with our pragmatic considerations. Now, the evenings trying to Pluto may bring some heavier emotions to the surface, yet it does so in a way that we can root down that energy and get a good grip on it. So it can be a very positive thing if you let whatever comes up, you need to come up. Now, on Saturday, the moon is still in Taurus, but will move into Gemini around 2 p.m. here on the Pacific coast. Uh, And along the way, she will sextile Mars and sextile Mercury. And so the bottom line for Saturday is, is that the light of the moon is waning down as we have a two-part day with the first half still plodding along in that slow and steady energy of the bull. And that sextile to Mars really helps to bring some, you know, a little bit of oomph far away that maybe <laughs> not too much oomph because we're talking about Cancer and uh, Taurus here, but enough to, you know, kind of get through whatever chores or tasks we have on our plate. But later in the day, that energy is going to scatter a bit as uh, the moon moves into chatty Gemini and connects with uh, Mercury, who is now in Leo. And so this might provide a ripe evening to socialize and connect with others in a way that helps, uh, you know, air out the past week, but also inspire us for uh, what lies ahead. Now, Sunday, the moon is uh, completely in Gemini, and she will oppose Jupiter and square Neptune later in the evening. And so the bottom line for Sunday is that we are winding down into introspective thought about the future and the visions we see for it, as Luna opposes both big picture Jupiter and squares imaginative Neptune. And so thoughts and images may arise out of nowhere, bringing in ideas and inspirations uh, to the surface. And since the light of the moon is darkening, this is really now a perfect time to spend in some sort of reflection. 
So, you know, a writing assignment or a journaling exercise may prove to be quite fruitful at this time. So consider getting in touch with yourself via these methods. Because, you know, increased clarity is always a good thing, and especially as we head into eclipse season. All right, so to wrap it all up, you know, this week brings much to the table as we sit in this in-between zone, as we wind down in lunar light and head towards next week's solar eclipse. And there may be a few triggers set off in the process, yet they do so to help better understand the needs of the self as we prepare for the shifts that lie ahead. So now let's take a look at the cards because they always add a certain extra dimension to everything that I'm talking about. And so this week I drew the five of cups as the focus and death as the grounding. And I have to say, I looked at these right away and I was like, ah, really? (laughs) Is it because they're not, you know, (laughs) both of the cards are, could be a little bit challenging. But, you know, with the five of cups as the focus, I like to think that this week is about transitioning and moving on from any disappointments old hurts uh, or past regrets that may come up or still be lingering in our system. For eclipse season and a slew of powerful transits will be before us shortly, so it is time to clear that emotional air. And with cancer energy ramped up, feelings become pronounced, and it's sometimes it can, you know, get easy to get caught up in uh, missing something that was once quite good for to us or for us, um, but maybe it has run its course or has fatefully left our lives in some way. Um, and so attaching to and lifting off from what still holds promise, you know, the cups that are still standing, is really, you know, the ticket this week. And I think that this card really plays into moving beyond that uh, Chiron influence as well. Now, with death as the grounding, this just reinforces the message of the transition even further. So let go, let go, let go. (laughs) That's really the goal this week because it's time to shed our skin of the past. You know, shed the skins of the past, let them go, and slither into your promising future. For embracing the new is the most powerful medicine at this time and really what might be part of that trigger of the last quarter moon in Aries. And so fantastic things await us, yet sometimes the hardest part of the transformative process is acknowledging necessary endings. And this week, we have the opportunity to make peace with the past and still hold space for the future. So last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the snow leopard. This magnificent big cat is asking that we find some solitary time for ourselves this week. You know, we do have the moon is waning down. We have a last quarter in Aries, which is a very, you know, independent, solitary type of, I'm doing my own thing type of energy. Uh, Because, you know, as the moon is waning down to start this eclipse season, this is really a potent time to take a planned respite into solitude so that you can get closer to that small voice that lives within Uh, because it's necessary to take such time outs from this, you know, busy world that we live in. For if we are encapsulated in too much noise for too much of the time, we end up getting swept up on all the tension, which results in an underlying and unsettled 
unsettling anxiety that lives within our bodies and our minds and our spirit. Uh, so turn off the computer, put down the phone. Well, after you finish this podcast, of course. <laughs> um, but then choose that time to take a moment for yourself this week. For even a few hours can be incredibly beneficial because I guarantee you that you'll find that it was time well spent. All right, so now if you want to go deeper with how the energy of the week will interact with you personally, I encourage you to check out my tarot subscription on Patreon. And so you can be a tarot expert or you can be someone who knows nothing at all. You can use tarot cards or use oracle cards or both. You can do whatever the hell you want, really. All I'm doing is creating the uh, spread and the placements and the theme of the week. And so this week, uh, we are working on soothing the emotions because that is a valuable tool to know. And so we're tapping into our emotions, uh, you know, what triggers that, where are, you know, hurdles around that. And so, um, yeah. So if you want to find out more about my weekly tarot spread, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay. Now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest. We have Mackenzie Greer. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, Mel. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to have Mackenzie on the show, or otherwise known as Mac, from Mac in the Zodiac. How cute of a name is that? I mean, I, when I went to your URL, I was like dying because it was so adorable. Well, thank you. <laughs> and so Mac and I actually met at... Um, Norwak. We're having a lot of rhymes here. Yeah, Mac, <laughs> Mac Norwak. at Norwak from the Zodiac. <laughs> um, and, and so we hit it off right away. And I just uh, was so jazzed to like bring her on the program um, to ta- actually talk about, we're going to talk about palmistry and astrology because there's not a lot of people that are in, uh, that do both, you know? And uh, this is an area of mine I'm interested in. Obviously it's an area of hers. But before we even get started into this fantastic subject um, that I'm so excited to cover, uh, uh, Mac, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit, a little bit of background. Oh, happily so. Well, thanks for having me, Mel. I like seriously appreciate this opportunity. It's so cool to be a part of this. Yeah. I am Mackenzie Greer of Mac and the Zodiac, and just so everybody knows, for my astro nerds out there, I'm a Cancer Sun with a Pisces Moon and Leo Rising. Um, I live in New York City. In Queens in particular, and I'm a practicing astrologer and palmist. Uh, actually, by day, I work in television production, um, so no one knows that I'm like a secret mystic. But then by night, I put on my astrology cape and I go to town with readings and doing horoscopes and all sorts of fun stuff. So that's kind of like my little bio there, but... I love yeah. it. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so funny because um, we were talking about... because. Uh, Mackenzie has, you know, some having that cancer son, you know, she has some things in that 12th house and this kind of behind the scenes zone. So it's so funny being in television production because I'm assuming that you're behind the scenes, you know, helping us exactly. run, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like right behind the cameras, getting them all, making sure they look good and the colors match and everything's beautiful. Oh, so, I love that. Yeah, that sounds like cool. such a fun job. I would, it's I would. not bad. <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's not bad. It's um, not bad. But how Pisces moon, that mutable double-bodied sign to like live these two lives, right? You know, like by day and by night. And by night, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it really works out so far. So I'm, I'll see it through until I'm like, all right, I'm get out of this. 
<laughs> well, it's okay. So it's kind of funny because um, to get into the palmistry element of it is because Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but palmistry uh, led kind of led you into astrology, right? Is that how? Is that was that the chain of? Uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, like it's it's a little back and forth, actually. Like, you know, as a kid, I was a Linda Goodman girl, like like any of us, honestly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like used her delineations to like, you know, figure out how I could manipulate people to like me or how I could like them and if, if it would work, if it was possible, uh, like in middle school, you know, like, what am I doing? Um, but like, you know, you're like, just like hiding in Barnes and Noble in the new age section, like just taking in everything I could. But I was always really concerned with like relationship stuff instead mm-hmm. of the self. Um, so I was always into astrology as a kid, but it wasn't really till much later, kind of after palmistry where I took the deep dive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in, in a way, like palmistry definitely led me to astrology. And it's kind of funny how I wound up doing palmistry because I never believed in palmistry. I don't know about you. Um, did you ever believe in it like before you learned about it? Um, you know, to be honest, I feel like I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't even a belief like to make that decision because it just wasn't on my mind, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I just always like in living in New York, like walking around, right. There's like a bajillion oh, yes. signs and like women just looking bored on their cell phones in the middle of summer. And, and like, you're like, what are you, what are you doing here? And I was always like, what is, what is their purpose? Like, what are they trying to accomplish here? And one day my friend and I were kind of roaming through Queens and I saw one and I finally piqued my curiosity enough to go in. And we went into this woman's like very drab apartment that smelled like cigarettes. <laughs> just like she welcomes us in and like, you know, she's like, all right, you have one question. And I'm like, uh, and then all of a sudden I felt so fascinated by the lines in my hand. And, you know, like I lost all interest in knowing anything about my future. And I was just like, what's this one? And she like kind of scoffed at me. She was like, wow, you're wasting your one question on like asking me what line that is. is yeah. <laughs> And she was like, it's the hotline. I'm like, oh, okay. And she basically gave me nothing, right? But um, like this kind of bad impression, but I really, I walked out of there kind of with a newfound curiosity and being like, oh, do hands actually have any power or importance? And then, you know, you start comparing hands with everybody else, you know, and you're like, oh, wow. You know, like it all starts to, to come together and coalesce and you're like, whoa. So I ultimately started um, studying through Ellen Goldberg at the School of Oracles. She's in the West Village. Um, yeah, I studied under her for a few years downtown and it was like really nice because it was intimate and there's not a lot of like working palmists that do classes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she really drove me um, in that direction once I met up with her. Yeah, so oh, that was kind of my, my story. What's yours? Oh, that's, that's so funny. That's true because now that I think about it, I'm like, I've never even seen anybody like advertise like a class for, you know, reading palms. And, and that really adds to the mystery of the history of palmistry, which we'll get into a, a little bit here uh, mm-hmm. in, in a bit. But okay. so, okay. Mine was like super... There was, there was so like, and I'm, I feel like maybe I've told this story before on the podcast, but if I, if I have, I apologize, but it's back again. <laughs> this is my origin story. My origin story as a, um, as, as a mystic, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I was always into occult like things in high, high school, like the, what you're describing with the Barnes and Noble sitting in the section. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you. And we would have right. been sitting there together, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but 
for me, okay, so it was at a point in my life where um, I was selling clothes online. That's what I did. I would, I would glam up big, like, um, kind of editorial fashion shoots on eBay, uh, right when eBay started getting popular, uh, basically, and I would sell a lot of stuff on there. And uh, in my spare time, I would always go to uh, the library down the street, the downtown library. And so once a week, I would walk down to the library, check things out, um, and bring them back. And so it was just a ritual of mine. And so mm-hmm. one day, I was walking um, from my house downtown. And so I was super broke at the time. Like, I was, <laughs> I was like, like worrisome broke. Um, like, you know, you know, the kind of broke where you can't really do anything but exist and, and eat. <laughs> You know, if you can even do that. Um, but I was walking down and all of a sudden this like gust of wind comes out of nowhere and blows a $20 bill across my feet, no basically. And so, you know, broke ass Mel is like <laughs> chasing it down the, you know, like trying to stomp on it. Like, and I got it and I was like, I always thought it was a bill. I didn't even know how much. And I picked it up and I was like, oh, 20 bucks. I'm like, yes, this is, this is going to be a good day. Um, so I, I carried on my way. I got a little tea because, oh, I was like, oh, I got $20. And you see how fast it burns tea. You know, this is Sagittarius on the second. <laughs> um, it goes real fast. And so I got myself my tea and then I got down to the uh, library and lo and behold, uh, I had no idea they were having a library book sale that day. And so, uh, you know, I'm extra excited. I'm like perusing and all of a sudden I see uh, the book of the hand um, by, this is the exact book here, right here. Uh, the book of the hand by uh, Fred Gettings. And it was $2. It was $2. Oh. I was immediately fascinated. I was like, opened it up and like, like a magical world of hands just opened up to me. I was half frightened too, because it's all like kind of photocopied hands and like weird, like six <laughs> hands. And I'm like, and, and like, like jagged, you know, cause hands can get funky. Oh um, and so I was like enthralled by it, but I was also <laughs> moderately disgusted by it in the same moment. <laughs> but, you know, had I not found that $20 bill, I would not have anything in my pocket to buy the book to, you know, take home and basically start the spark of everything. Like that was the entry point. I like, became obsessed with palms. Um, and then it brought uh, astrology into my life because there's a lot of correlations between uh, mm-hmm. astrology and elements and, and the planets and stuff. Right. Exactly. And the palm. And so, and then that opened to tarot. And so really it was that day that I will never forget. And, and that gift from the universe of the money that I needed to even like begin this journey, I didn't even know I was going to be on. Um, like it was very, that's why I call it like a a mystical, (laughs) mystical moment basically in my life. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cool. Like divine intervention. I love like the the money floating by and like the book suddenly coming in, like what a, what a powerful joining of symbolism. That's it so cool. really is. <laughs> I find my life works like that a lot. And um, I don't know if it's just that I'm aware of it, you know, going as such, or if, if it's more specialized to just my particular energy, that's how things work out. Um, but, and it's interesting too, having, and you might re- relate to this as well, because we both have um, basically the ruler of our ascendant, not um, in aspect <laughs> to our ascendant. And right. so sometimes, you know, the things that come to me um, and that I am to kind of follow and go down is not necessarily of my own volition. It has mm-hmm. to come from somewhere else. And then I'm like, oh, okay. It's not always clear with the, with your son not being able to, or your 
rule or nothing able to see the ascendant, right? It's like oh, kind of in that blind spot where you're like, oh, total blind spot, wandering, <laughs> wandering until money floats by your feet. And you're like, oh, okay, now I know. Um, okay. This feels right. This feels good. This feels good. And so it's funny how you brought up how in how palmistry was in your awareness just being in New York because you'd see the people that were advertising it, the neon signs because I don't really see that uh, where I grew up or anything like that. So that's probably why it wasn't on my mind. Oh, really? Yeah, because it, there's, it makes sense that, you know, that condensed city would have more of that, um, you know, and the people that have been posted up there for a while. Mm-hmm. But what we do have, once my interest was sparked, um, is in Balboa Park here in San Diego, which is actually where they uh, intuited the Sabian symbols in 1925. Yes, yes that happened here in San Diego. Um, well, and along the promenade, there will be sometimes people sitting out there reading palms under a tent or something. And so I'd always see it. And then one day there was just this one guy, it was like late afternoon, I was with a friend and he was reading palms. And I was like, all right, I've done this long enough to where I'm curious. I needed someone else outside of me to like, mm-hmm. you know, get in there. And so I sit, I sit down. I only had two bucks. I felt bad. Like, I'm like, I was up front. I was like, look, th- I'm so curious. I only have this on my person. And now that I'm thinking about it, you see the $2 connection, the $2 for the book, the $2 yeah. for the hand, <laughs> for the Whoa. reading. Um, awesome. It went, okay, so this guy grabs my hand, right? This kind of sketchy guy. <laughs> and immediately grabs my hand and I notice that he has like two fingers. Number one. <laughs> he's like holding my hand. Two fingers, two dollars. <laughs> he's like holding my hand with these nubs, basically. Oh God. And this man goes to tell me like just some crazy shit. Like not anything, nothing good. He's like, he's telling me that I'm like accident prone, which was hilarious because I'm like a cat. I'm like, I have like the craziest reflexes. He was just, and I'm looking at his like two fingers and I'm like, yeah, I'm you're accident like, prone. You're accident prone. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. And so, <laughs> so here, and he told me other things and I was just kind of getting like defensive and I'm like, this is a crock of, you know, bowl basically. Mm-hmm. And so I love both of our stories because yours was kind of like, yours was like, you asked the question that were like, oh, okay, well, that's, and the, the, this guy's just telling me random stuff. And, and I had known enough at that time that I'm like, I don't even know where you're getting this from. Right. So anyways, long story short, so that was my interaction into palmistry. And that was like my first palm reading um, that, Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that both of our first palm readings were just kind of like in uncomfortable, uh, like un- unsafe feeling kind of situation, right? like between the nubs and this woman's dirty robe. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good out there. We have to, we got to uphold the better standards of palmistry. Okay, so. perfect. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Because that's right. Because palmistry can get, you know... I mean, we can step into kind of the hi- a little bit of history about palmistry right now because it, it is aligned with, you know, people think of like traveling gypsies and um, although I don't know if gypsy is a word people use anymore, <laughs> like I'm confused with all yeah. terminology for things. But yeah, I kind of had a bad rap or sketchy one or one where people were making things up, right? Very much so. Very much so. And it's still, honestly, it's still is really present in the culture today, the way people approach it, or even like how seriously I took palmistry for all these years. Like I still get like, Oh, what are you going to have a neon sign outside your house? Or you're going to sit there with like a little, I'm like, no, like I can make this legit. Watch me. Um, 
I, yeah, it's, it's upsetting how people, but I could totally see where they get that stigma or that idea because it's been mistreated. And like the way this guy was talking to you is like such a red flag. And I had so many people come up to me and they're scared, scared to death from like what someone said to them 10 years ago. And a big, a big critical part to me of palmistry is the fact that you have to be cautious of something called like being black tongued. Like you don't ever, and it goes into astrology too. Like you don't ever want to you know, make someone manifest something, negative thoughts. You don't ever want to kind of do that. You can warn people about things, but, you know, in a constructive fashion, you don't ever want to just blatantly say the things these people say. It's like, it's really nasty. And so no wonder it's been such a tarnished reputation and that people got to go in there and clean it up, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. And, and you're absolutely right because it's not just palmistry, like astrology, uh, tarot, definitely tarot. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times that someone needs to sit down with me who hasn't done tarot and they're terrified of it because of like, you know, the bad rap or they have yeah. done it before and they just got a, such a harsh like reading. And like you said, like it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's, it's all in the delivery and how that can help, uh, you know, inform someone, but also um, empower them to be able to navigate maybe something that's potentially tr- challenging. And so if you're just like, you know, you're accident prone and you're going to fall and die and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, who, who, what good are you doing for anybody in that moment? And I yeah. would say, I would say he might not even have earned that $2. <laughs> no. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. Like, I want my $2. That's another movie <laughs> reference. <laughs> from, I love it. Yeah, from John, oh, that movie. That, I don't even remember what movie. I just know Paperboy is saying $2. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they're like they're out there wielding this false sense of power, um, and like yes. sometimes that drives people. Obviously, in all these kinds of fields, and it's it's very dangerous. So we all have to like live up to trying to be the best, whatever we are, you know. Yeah. And, and in this industry, in this field, and and taking care of people and working with people, it's like really, really got to watch your mouth. It's true because I mean the only reason that I left that particular encounter unscathed as a person. <laughs> is because I knew enough about palmistry at that point to be able to call bullshit. But if I didn't know that, I would walk away thinking, oh my God, like I have, you know, like (laughs) if you're that, especially if you're that impressionable, I mean, um, and plus water signs, we can definitely take on the impressions of what comes out from outside of us. And so, yeah. So, um, but it makes a lot of sense too with the mystery of it and why it probably seems so alluring because, you know, like much like astrology, there is no exact moment um, in time that this necessarily became a thing. You know, it's it was passed on through tradition, oral tradition, um, and you know these these systems were created within kind of that word of mouth folklore. Um, and it's, I mean, the earliest reference to palmistry that that I have been able to hear of or find was actually uh, back in like uh, in India in the Vedic culture mm-hmm. from like somewhere between mm-hmm. fifteen hundred to five hundred BC is like the first reference, and even that reference I want to say was like uh, telling people um, to that that they they can't make a, a living or money from astrology or palmistry. <laughs> so really? it was actually a reference that wasn't like you know <laughs> that was kind of not demoting it, but not necessarily saying great things about it either. Right. So, um, yeah. So there, there was that. And I mean, there's so so much ambivalence that goes on there because we think it comes from, you know, there's idea that because 
palmistry is so big in India. Like it's, it's right. much like, you know, Vedic astrology. It's, it's very big there. And so they think that it might be influenced the West, um, but it's so hard to know because it could have been, I mean, there's it, some say it's originated in ancient Egypt or with the Chaldeans or the Sumerians, the Babylonians and the Greek, you know, so it's really all guesswork essentially. But the first time we actually got like these texts um, to like work off of was about, you know, the 1300s is when it actually started being, um, you know, documented uh, for you know, whatever was being said, you know, out there. Um, And so, and then of course, Cairo, right? Isn't that his name? Cairo, the... Yeah, like a, chiromancy, key, I guess that's right. Cairo, Cairo. I know, because oh, that's the thing. If you see the word chiromancy, um, C-H-I-R-O-M-A-N-C-Y. Uh, I like the dictionary definition for this, Mac. Okay, so chiromancy. The supposed prediction of a person's future <laughs> from interpreting the lines on the palms of their hands or palmistry. So if you see chiromancy, that is the same thing as palmistry. Um, exactly. but, but there was this guy named Cairo or Kiro or something, C-H-E-I-R-O, who actually helped popular, popularize palmistry later in like the 19th century because he actually got a bunch of uh, you know pretty prominent clients that he was documenting like he has the palm of Mark Twain and like you know like people that they're, they're like oh this is interesting but you know so he was working doing his thing but they would still be arresting you know old ladies that would set up booths on the street oh, exactly yeah of course <laughs> oh yeah you know, privileged he was probably like a privileged white dude that was just like yeah here I go <laughs> off to do my thing I know, right it seems like <laughs> women uh, though women are not allowed to partake. Yeah, all well, those old women just trying to <laughs> feed themselves. They're just like, yeah, that's not allowed. Yeah, even like who I study the most off of is this guy, William Benham, who um, published The Laws of Scientific Handwriting in 1900. And like, that's that's one of the best, like new, like it's like, not new at all, but you know, like that's something I can actually read and it's like, it's tangible enough, even though the language is pretty dated. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just speaks of like men's hands, like men only. We would never read palms for women. Like, I'm like, okay. Uh. I know that's interesting <laughs> that that really, because well, in, in palmistry you got caught up in the whole, you know, witchcraft debacle in the, you know, in the, Late, what is it, late 1500s, somewhere around there? I can't remember right now. <laughs> when did all that happen? We were so lucky to live in the time that we live in because honestly, if we had this conversation, then, you know, we'd be sharing that steak. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm so, grateful. Yeah, I am grateful too that we actually get to talk about this without the threat of, you know, our lives. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so... All right. So hands are fascinating to begin with because, um, I mean, hands are what make us special as humans, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's so cool that everyone has like really different hands. And once you start studying them and collecting them and, oh my God, it it just starts to fascinate you more and more. Um, I, I always take like ink prints of people's hands and they would feel kind of like, they they would begrudge me a little bit because they'd walk around with like stained hands because I don't think I had the right ink back in the day when I was doing more. Oh. <laughs> they'd have it for two days and they'd look at me and be like, you know, hold their hands up and be like, oh. and yeah, like, thank you for helping contribute to my study. <laughs> but like, um, water based, water based, <laughs> water based. <laughs> um, yeah, and or it's just so funny. Like even on my iPad, I have like this just creepy giant collection of people's hands, and I'm like, I remember who they are without 
I remember their face by looking at their hand to which I'm like, okay. Um, I just think that's so cool. Like once you really get to know, I'm like, okay, I see that hand. I know that like there's a big Jupiter. It's like a, you know, thick, thick um, phalanges or whatever. You know, you start to associate faces with hands and it, it's a real deep dive. You got to really be like into it. And yeah. if you are like <laughs> learning palmistry, you're going to constantly think you're going to die some terrible fate. Um, like when you're first learning, I don't know if you experienced that. I was like, I was constantly like, Oh God, I'm going to die. Like you know, there's like so many, so many things you read in these old texts that like are just so, so bad. <laughs> you have to kind of work through that. And same with astrology too. Right? right. You know, you open a book on, uh, yeah. Well, and I have a lot of books actually that are from kind of that, uh, turn of the century. Like I, I came up on, um, uh, at a thrift store, I guess an astrologer, someone died and, and they gave everything to this thrift store that I would go to all the time. And like, literally I got like five huge, like office boxes of books for like $14 from like just crazy books. But you know, some of those you like look into them and you're, you're like, what, what are they saying to me right now? Like what I'm going to die by so many people die by losing, you know, decapitation and things like that. Like, no, honestly, they're like, hallucinations. I'm they like, how is anybody alive with, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's really scary. So if you are learning palmistry or if you're interested in like what we're going to continue talking about, just know if you start to, if you start to deep dive a little bit, that like, you're not going to die. It's okay. Like, yeah. you know, people freak out about their lifelines and all this stuff. And it's better to just rephrase a lot of these things with a little bit more intention and awareness, which I think we're going to do as we proceed. Yes. Yes. So we're, we're trying to destigmatize palmistry a little bit here. That's what we're, that's, <laughs> that's the aim. I Submission suppose. statement. Yes. Um, but you know, what I always remember Mac about like hands in particular, and I don't even know where I saw this or if it was in relation to palmistry or if it was just in relation to a class that I took or something. But they were talking about um, just the hands in general and the nerve endings and how much electrical impulse goes through the palms. Um, and I remember this, uh, like, and I want to say it was like an old African sculpture or something along those lines. And it was a, it was a man that was uh, showing... It was showing in relation to his body parts, like what had kind of the most energy or like electrical impulse running through them. And um, so in relation to the hands, the hands were... A super huge. It was like the equivalent of having basically two umbrellas as your hands, like as far as like size wise, because there's that many nerve endings and that much electrical impulse that is coming through the actual hand. Because you know, in that like, um, you know, you press down on kind of your thumb pad there or like the, the base of your, um, <laughs> the Mount of Venus, which we'll get into <laughs> here. Um, and you, I mean, like if you press it kind of hard, you'd be like, Oh, you know, that kind of feels good. It kind of feels, but it's so sensitive, but really that is like, an, like a, a huge highway of a, like, a, like a, many overpasses meeting in your hand, basically of nerves that are going on. Um, and what I mean, I'm assuming is what creates the electrical impulses that create these lines on your hand. Because, you know, some people will be like, well, isn't it just because your hand, you know, you fold it and they, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's the way it creases. But all those other lines, like that's not necessarily that's not part of it. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone else folds their hands and their when they open them, everyone's hands look different. So it's like, no, not exactly. Um, if you start to like really look at it, you know, in a, in a kind of more detailed, if you take a wider, uh, you know, scope of hands and you're like, okay, no, no, there's definitely more to this. And yeah, I believe like I am not a science or history person, so forgive me. Um, but I, what I do know and what I remember from my classes with Ellen was that there's like, 
there's just so many nerve endings between the brain and the hands and that the hands are primarily a representation of the mind. Um, and that's why they're so cool. And you can like, you can really start to get into the inner workings of the mind if you can dive into what's going on in the hand. Um, and you can start to learn all those little ins and outs of yourself, um, which is so cool. And it's yeah. just so rewarding because you're like, okay, this matches up. Or in my chart, you know, it's funny to compare, you know, your Venus, how it does in your chart, you know, versus your hand and yes. you add up or they don't. It's like, it can be really, a really fascinating study to see what you're actually inhabiting or engaging with or what you could actually do more with. Um, yeah, no, I, that's so true. Well, because when I was thinking about this and, and just this particular thing we we're talking about, the image of that, um, of, you know, the hand, the occult image with the hand, uh, with the eye in the center of the palm, you know, because yeah. there's so much that can be read into and seen um, through oh, so cool. the hand, right? Me either. It just came to, as I was prepping for this, it just came to me like that image. And I was like, huh, that seems to tie in many ways because- you know, the hand is so unique in the sense that um, like we can talk about these lines and like the way it looks now, but honestly, lines change. Like these yeah. aren't, yeah. So, you know, don't, don't be like, oh, this is the fixed thing. Now our fingerprints, they don't change. They are what they are. They're part of like basically your fingerprints as you're like developing in birth. Um, and fingerprints can also be no, uh, also known as uh, dermatoglyphics. That's like the technical right. term for those. But really why they don't change um, is because when we were developing in the womb, like our little hand buds were basically uh, the, the map out of the fingerprints. And so the fingerprints is what like guided the finger to be like created in the, in, you know, the womb. And so it's, that's why there's a consideration that the fingerprints are really part of like the life pattern and the consistency of the energy versus the the lines which can change over time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And there yeah. was a guy, do you know a book like there's a guy that does um ah it was about it was about fingerprints um and he it was all about fingerprints and palmistry and um having different schools of people, uh, based on your fingerprints. Is this ringing a bell to you at all? Uh, I've seen like segments of this in other people's books, but I haven't seen just a book about fingerprints and that kind of identification with them or like classification, but, um, it yeah. is cool. That your fingerprints oh, we- can like offer a lot of different identity things as well. So, yeah. I don't know who yes. that is. Oh, here it is. I think this is it. Um, let me, let me see. Oh, yes. It's called Light Prints, Deciphering Your Life Purpose from Your Fingerprints. And it's by Richard Unger. Um, uh-huh. And I, I had this book. I lent it out. Don't do that. Don't ever lend out your book. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I don't. <laughs> Needless to say, I no longer have this book, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. But yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Life Prince by Richard Unger. Because So what he does is he, he separated all the different um, uh, fingerprints because in fingerprints on your hand, uh, you typically have, uh, what do we got? We got loops. We got arches. Arches. Oh God, I don't look at fingerprints. Whirls. We got whirls. <laughs> got a whirl. And we got uh, we got tented arches as well, like that are kind of oh, yeah. different arches that go up a little bit more than the the standard arch. And then there's a uh, different kind of loops, like a, a radial loop, where yeah. like on your that's a little different of a loop. It's kind of a backwards loop. Mm-hmm. And those are usually only found on the pointer fingers, but. Um, 
But so in his book, he talks about, you know, because we can have like, a lot of people will have like all loops on their hands, or maybe you have a couple of loops and then you'll have like a whirl or two, or you're all, you know, arches or whatever. And so he described that as different schools of people, like with loops, I think it was the school of love. Um, I think arches was the school of peace. Worlds, worlds are very individualistic and artistic in nature and very specific and fixed. Um, anyways, I haven't read the book in a while, so I'm not going to do it disjustice. That's not even a word. But, um, <laughs> but yes, Life Prince, Richard Unger. <laughs> cool. Oh, man, I got to get my hands on that. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds really cool. I love that. You know, there's just like so many aspects of palmistry that you suddenly get overwhelmed. Like you could, like, I, I can't remember all of them. So I'm so glad you brought in like fingerprints too. Like, you know, there's like, we look for color. We look for consistency in the hand to tell energy um, and color, I should say. Color uh, has a few defining characteristics. You know, like if, if it's warm, the person can run a little. You know, if you want to look for like a pink color in any kind of, in any race, like a kind of more pink, it shows like that kind of warm liveliness. If it's pale, the vitality's low. If it's mm. blue, there could be an element of like illness. Yellow could be like kind of, yellow is when it's like jaundice and it's kind of Saturnine and you can tell that Saturn's kind of taken over the hand a little bit. Oh. Or a little stiff or something's up with the personality that's not being fully realized or, you know, something. But yeah, I'm like, oh. I'm like, we're like, oh. I'm like, go on, go on. <laughs> um, but so it's cool. Like, you know, there's so many elements, right? So we have the color, the consistency. To find the consistency of your hand, you just kind of squeeze lightly on the sides with your um, your thumb and your Saturn finger, which is your middle finger. Um, you kind of, or you could use Jupiter, which is the first finger. And you kind of just lightly squeeze the sides of the hands. And if there's a little bit of bounce, you can tell that your energy is good. Now this changes, like depending on your energy levels. If you're super yeah. zapped, it's going to be like mush fill. Um, if it's pretty firm, you have like, you got energy and bounce. That's what you want to see in a healthy hand. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's really hard, the person's a little scary <laughs> and they have like, a, they've got like a lot of energy. So be careful, you know, like, cause sometimes too much energy is not a good thing. Yeah. Cause it has to go somewhere. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so don't let it come at you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we like just a healthy amount of bounce. Right. And then flexibility. Do you look at flexibility? Yes, absolutely. Flexibility and kind of elasticity of mm-hmm. the, yeah, the flexible, because that's the thing is like, and you can see different flexibilities. You can see it like if you pull your, you know, your four fingers back, you can see it in the thumb, just looking at uh, if the thumb and it's like top phalange, the oh, phalange yeah. is like the joint, basically. I know we both have it. We both, we both have these flexibility. Oh, we're bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and so here's the thing is like, so you might try to move your thumb back and like kind of push it back and it doesn't go anywhere. And that's, that can be very, uh, it just shows you that your constitution or, or your will is very rigid and you know, you, you don't bend easily to the wind basically. Um, as opposed to, uh, Mackenzie and I who are sitting here with our, like our total hitchhiker, our thumb. hitchhiker thumbs. Yeah. And so there is that flexibility that can kind of go with the flow, but there is the uh, ability to also be carried away with the flow yes. as well. Totally. Um, and the thumb represents, we should say the thumb represents like your, your willpower, right? Your kind of like your ability to assert yourself. And it, Mars has different places in the hand. It's not so much about assertion, but sometimes the, the thumb will tell you like a core story of someone's willpower. And if they're willing to to get something done or not, especially size, right? Like big yeah. or small thumbs. You can see the romantics have little tiny thumbs and the big thumbs of the world are the ones that are out there getting stuff done. And they're like, 
you know, they've got that willful energy to get stuff done. Sometimes small thumbs have so much heart, but they're like, just have like the confidence and the carriage. Yeah, to do it. (laughs) I know. I've been told I have big thumbs. I'm oh, like, that's, that's <laughs> or I have good. big hands for my my size, but I do have Mars and Gemini. So hey, hey, there you go. There's that. nice hands. Uh, cool. <laughs> but it's so it's so true, and you can tell a lot. And and I mean, I read this years ago, but um, I think it holds water. Is that uh, in in India actually? There's a lot of palmists that um, only look at the thumb. Like right. they'll only look at, because there's so much information you can find in the thumb between, you know, the top part of the joint, the first phalange, that's, they're called phalange or phalanges. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's the will. And then below it, uh, the, the bottom half of the thumb is the, is the logic. And so are, do we, are we more willful? Do we have a bigger willful? Uh, kind of like, are we just going before we're, you know, thinking of the logic and the rationality of it? Or do we have so much logic and reason that we, it's hard for us to move and like, right. Hold ourselves back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that you can look at on yourself. Definitely just that top flange, that bottom flange, which are they even? That's probably like a nice balance. Yes. Up, right. Um, but if one's a little smaller and one's a little more like, let's do this. Like I definitely have more will than logic, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> will finds a way. Will finds a way. <laughs> and there's you, a will. You <laughs> there is a way. Uh, you know, mine is pretty, it's interesting because my thumb is, I don't know how many creases, because that's the thing. It's like then the thumb where it creases at the joint, like right. the, the thumb knuckle, like that is part of the hand, then there's lines there too. And so right. I always get kind of confused a little bit as to where the line is for the logic. Yeah. Um, I would think that like the first stemming off, like the, I wouldn't count that because that's more like it's connecting to the hand. But then there's like that first little crease. If you look up maybe like, I don't know, less half an inch or so, right? Like that first little crease. I feel like I've Feel like it, that kind of denotes that, but what do you? I don't know. Well, do that's always what I wonder because not over, not everyone has that crease, and that's why in oh. uh, in Indian palmistry, there's different lines that are part of the bottom of the thumb. Some people might only have one. Some people can have four. On like one on my hand, I have three on one thumb, and then on my left hand, I have four. Um, that's amazing. And so that's. Yeah. So there's all this discrepancy. And that's the thing is like, we talked about earlier how there is no like one-stop shop to go learn all about palmistry. And so you kind of have to like, you know, piece it all together and then put in the intuition and what is this telling me? Um, And then of course, like in much like astrology, we have to look at all the components. It's not just the thumb. What else, what's the other part of the hand doing? Right. (laughs) Um, So, so let us talk about a little bit of the other part of the hand. So we talked about the thumb. Um, and, uh, it doesn't necessarily align with a planet, but I would say what Mackenzie was saying with it being more of a Martian, you know, Mars like Mm -hmm. element because it's Mm -hmm. doing right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so so what about the rest of our fingers? So we have our pointer finger, right? That's Jupiter right there. Jupiter is like, you know, he's telling you what to do. He's pointing around, you know, you can swing that thing around and you point, somebody's going to feel it. Right. It's like, whoa, all right. You're sending Jupiter energy my way. Right. You, you tell at? little kids, what stop are you pointing. Yeah. You know, stop pointing at them. That's offensive. <laughs> it is. And then when you do it, you have some kind of power. You're riding on a Jupiter right. high. You're like, yeah, I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, so, so that's true. Jupiter right there. So you got a Jupiter finger. And then right below that, you have a Jupiter mount. And it's kind of just like, 
It's hard to describe it now, so that a visual, I suppose. But oh, and speaking of, I'm going to put some pictures on the. Oh, I meant to say this in the beginning of the podcast. So if you made it this far, <laughs> I'm going to put some pictures on uh, my blog uh, with with this podcast, so that you can be like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Okay, perfect. Yes, yeah. so you can differentiate via the images exactly. that Mel's going to provide. So Jupiter, it's easy enough so that like the Jupiter finger has the Jupiter mount right below it. And after Jupiter, we have Saturn, of course. And Saturn is our middle finger. He's our, he stands alone sometimes. And he's kind of the only finger. Oh, Saturn and Jupiter are the only ones that can really stand up. And up on their own. Yeah. On their own. And they kind of, it's kind of fitting for their kind of archetypal. Right. I love energy. that. That's right? so cool. Well, maybe so instead of giving people the bird, we're going to give them the Saturn. We're just going <laughs> to give them the Saturn from one. now on. It's a Saturn vibe. It's like. Nah, well, know? it's like a boundary. It's like, don't oh, come yeah. any farther than this, exactly. you know, guns a-blazing. <laughs> Waving my Saturns around. Um, so if you guys nice can see the video right now, which it's you ridiculous. won't, but it's funny. It's a lot of, a lot of bird flipping. There's a lot of um, bird flipping going <laughs> See, like that's the, those two, those two fingers have so much power. So that the pointer, right. The, the flipping off finger. And then after that we have Apollo and Apollo, we call it Apollo and palmistry instead of the sun. Um, but Apollo is related very much to the sun. So then Apollo actually is a double mount often. Um, you'll see in the visual. Yeah, it's cool. Often when someone has a prominent Apollo, like I just was watching Big Little Lies and I saw Meryl Streep's hand for the first time and it caught my eye, like out of, out of nowhere. Right. Do you pause and look at hands too, or blow them up? Oh, I do it all. Hell yeah. I'm (laughs) creepy. Oh yeah. I was diving into Meryl Streep. I'm like, (laughs) and she's in Big Little Lies and she's like, you know, like doing her thing right now. And I'm loving it. I'm here for it. And, but I see that she has this profound Apollo mount and it's so evident because she's so sun you know she's like and apollo and palm tree more so even than like what the sun represents in astrology apollo is so much more about like the creative artist it is it almost aligns better with leo or something you know it has like the drama Mm -hmm. ability the ability to be the artist and kind of master that field so a lot of actors have like very prominent double apollos but apollo can be um just one big mount but often when it's profound it's like two little um, two mounts that are sticking up high on the hand. Yeah, and it kind of one will gravitate towards Saturn, and one side will gravitate towards uh, Mercury. Um, exactly. Yes, which obviously Mercury is the pinky finger, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mercury, and stay away from crooked Mercuries. That's always something I was taught. Yes, like yes. When that Mercury, like it, kind of bends at like the top phalange, kind of bends in towards the. Um, yeah, no. No, you aren't. <laughs> Be, well, because what that means is that there, it, it's easier to bend the truth or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which can make a good salesperson, you know, depending on what it is they're selling. Exactly. But um, yeah. And so there is that, you, you, yes, that is something to watch for. And another thing that's interesting to watch for, and I don't know if you do this at all, but um, I thoroughly look at the rings that are on people's fingers because what, what, ring or what finger you decide to like wear a ring on tells a lot about you. You know, like you see the Jupiter, you know, the a ring on a pointer finger and you're like, that person wants to. Yeah. They're harnessing confidence. They're they're harnessing. (laughs) And I, I usually think of them as like, they're kind of, they're trying to harness that. They want that. Like it's something they're craving or it's not something that they like maybe inherently possess or something for, for, for some reason in my mind, it functions that way. Like I'm always wearing a Saturn. I like love having a, a right-handed Saturn ring. I'm just like, man, this feels good, you know? And then without it, I'm like, oh. Um, well, okay. So when I look at the middle finger and rings, um, what I had, uh, 
thought before or read before was about um, the Saturn finger, the people that have them on the middle fingers are looking more so for balance. Um, mm. And kind of like a, because it really is kind of the balanced part of the hand, right? It it's really right is. in the middle. Um, and it, it, right now, my mind just went to the fact that Saturn is exalted in Libra. I thought about that too. Yeah. yeah so, you know, so per- possibly there is that balance that is sat with that uh, Saturn figure. Uh, because really, if we want balance, uh, balance is a, a, a form of stability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is very Saturn in, exactly. in nature, right? Oh, that's um, perfect. But then we have the ring finger, which obviously we know as the marriage finger, like that's pretty uh, prominent, Um, which actually you might find this interesting. I found this interesting as I was reading about uh, kind of rings and fingers is that uh, in the early days of marriage, um, it it wasn't that you would, like they would put the, the ring on the ring finger, but part of the ceremony was actually going through all the fingers first. So when you were saying I do, like way back in the day, they would take the ring, they put it on the thumb, they put it on the forefinger, they put it on the middle finger, and then they would put it on the ring finger. So it's like you were initiating each stage of like, um, and then, then it would be on there. Like that that's so ritual. cool. What? I never yeah. heard of that. Yeah. So if you're going to get married and you want to pull it back to, you know, what, the 14th century or something, <laughs> um, you can do that. <laughs> but uh, now the most interesting one, and of course, you know, you can take this with a grain of salt, is that pinky finger, that pinky oh ring, God. because yes. it's pretty, you know, I wouldn't say it's 100%, but uh, it does align with maybe some type of like sexual issue that could come out with people with pinky rings, which what I think was funny because like, because the, the mercury finger has, can do with that communication, can do with that exactly. transaction, business, you know, things along those lines. But it also uh, taps into the sexuality component. Or were you taught that as well? Or really? no, honestly, I can't say I have. But that sounds fascinating. I'd be like curious to know how. Like to me, what I when I think of um, like a pinky ring, I just watched Sopranos for the first time, and <laughs> it's just been such a joy. But like you know, they're all mobsters. They're all very mercurial. Eh, you know this and that you're trading this for that go shoot that guy yep. and then of course they all like they all have they all have pinky rings on it like big gold chonky like um just mercury rings and i'm like oh my god that's so fitting you know like all these mobsters wearing like just wielding this like sick ring to claim their mercurial power and status i know I love that but no, wait, well, sorry, sorry. Tell me the sexual aspect. Of well, it. no, it, well, that, that's, it was like tied up in, in that, like from what I've read in the books that I have is that like there is a partial kind of, so maybe there's like a sexual inadequacy there or compensation yeah. for certain things. And I mean, even like, if you look back to the mid 20th century, most, a lot of men wore pinky rings. It was part of the fashion. Um, and so that's an interesting component too. And so, I mean, I, that's what I just think about when I see people that have pinky rings, cause it's not like the most common, you know, it's finger not. to wear. And even when I put a, a, a ring on my pinky, it doesn't feel right to me because you ever yeah. put it in your hand and you're like, it just doesn't feel right. Like whatever you're trying to, and then you'll know when it sits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I always expect to see it on like car salesmen or like, you know, right. like well, okay. people are trying to like wield it. Wield right. So we're adding kind of a, essentially a sleazy element. <laughs> <laughs> Not to just any pinky rings out there. Yes, I have, yes. I've had times where I wear it and certain rings feel right certain ones certainly don't it's funny how mercury you know and there's an idea of mercury um being like 
opinionated or less opinionated yes. or trying to people think about with um, like spacing of how your mercury kind of, if it flies off your hand when you're holding your hand up to yourself, if it's like, woo, and kind of jumping away from all the other fingers, right? There's like an element of like, you're, the way you think and express your opinions, you don't care what other people kind of perceive of them or you're kind of like outspoken in a certain way or... Yeah, maybe. well, the way I... Yes, the way I look at it is like more of an independent thinker. Like you, you're you not more likely to go uh, with, oh yeah, that sounds good or that, you know, you're like, oh, let me question that or hold on or this is what <laughs> I think, you know? Exactly. Um, and so you can see that... Uh, you can see that. So basically if you look at your fingers and if you look in between your fingers, but that's the thing with palmistry, there's so many subtle things to look at, right? Um, And so if you look in between your fingers, look at the space that is like in between, like Mac just said, having like a strong space in between that mercury finger, that pinky finger and that um, ring finger, uh, Apollo. Um, which a lot of times the the finger will jut out like it's like yes. on its own course of action there. But you can actually see it just too, even if it's not, because your hand will hold itself different at different times of the day, depending on exactly. how you're just feeling on the inside. Um, but if you see like a strong, like flat space uh, in between, you know, the, kind of the webs of your two fingers there. Yeah, that's your, you think yeah. for yourself, you're very much doing things uh, your own way. <laughs> totally. And, and the same goes for the opposite. If Mercury is, if your Mercury finger is clinging, if your pinky is like kind of clinging and like a little nervous, you can see that you can see the nervousness about speaking and we'll get into finger length and how that also plays into how well these archetypes manifest or not. Um, that's another possibility. And another thing I was always taught was that if Saturn and Apollo, and this changes by day to day too, if Saturn and Apollo are really close in your hands, like mm-hmm. your, your ring finger and your middle finger, if they're like this, um, there's a fear of like, um, economically instability or you're feeling like a little insecure and a little concerned. And I always notice that like when I'm feeling a little, like a little, just like on edge or nervous and kind of like, Oh man, like, am I going to make ends meet this month? Then like they're feeling free, but this is supposed to be more bohemian when you kind of hold your hands out and there's like wide spaces and, you know, you can kind of see if you're more, if there's like a big space between all your fingers that you're kind of like reaching for the world. It's like a little more bohemian open and like just want to experience things and not be too tied down with the material. Um, but yeah. if they're all kind of like, ah, that there's like a fear of um, mm. talking. Like often when I first see somebody's hand and they, I watch them become, begin to trust me because they'll start out like this and <laughs> my hand really firm and like tight. Like all my fingers are really closely together. And she's like, what are you going to see, you know? And then suddenly, like slowly, just ever so slightly, like everything starts opening up and then you're like, okay, then you can really start to see the natural hand relax. And it's just funny. It's so amazing how it connects to the mind and the, it reflects body language in such a nuanced way. That's so funny because I, I've experienced the different uh, difference than that where they're like, tell me what you see and they're all open. You see their hand and their hand starts to recoil a little bit. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh, like, oh, wait, you can't that see too. Oh my God, that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh yeah, my my ring finger and my, my uh, Saturn finger there are, are definitely... <laughs> definitely hanging out together. Sometimes sometimes they need each other. Sometimes they need... Well, and it's interesting because it's like, is Saturn leaning to Apollo or is Apollo leaning to Saturn? Because that can tell you things too. Um, And then that space in between Saturn and Jupiter, which I have a very healthy space in between Saturn and Mm -hmm. Jupiter, which is also, uh, from what I've heard, you know, a denotion of someone who's more in a, you know, a leadership role or yes, work for or, yourself. Work yes. for yourself if Jupiter's jumping out and it's like, bye. 
Yeah. <laughs> See you. I'm, I'm over here. I'll yeah. you know where to find me. Oh, that's 100%. so funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there, there is that. And then of course, like uh, Mac was saying earlier, those mounts, because we, all the fingers are, you know, obviously the fingers, but below them, like the pads that are like below um, the fingers themselves. And if you kind of like curl your hand in a little bit, you'll be able to see the, uh, kind of where they like pop off and like raise up because you can have a mount that is like, uh, you know, really developed and fat, or you can have one that's kind of like just doing its thing, or you can have one that's underdeveloped and kind of sinking in and like, and that can tell you a lot of things about, you know, the, the energy of the hand. Absolutely. And it's cool to, so like to maybe just label the rest of the mounts for you guys. Mars is split into two different spots. We actually have an upper Mars and a lower Mars, which is cool. And it kind of, one is like a more intelligent, active Mars, and one is more like a little like you know the kind of three hundred pound giant that's just like, so you can always kind of gauge if someone has like the good Mars going for them, or if they've got like oh that's a like a, a little bit of a touchy Mars. Yes. So upper Mars is beneath Mercury is kind of it's hard to identify a little bit, but it's um, just at the edge in the middle of the far side of the palm beneath Mercury. And it should have like a healthy amount of resistance in a, in a healthy upper Mars just by tapping the sides. If there's a bounce there, then you you know you have resistance capability that no one's going to push you around. Even if your thumb is a little flexible, um, <laughs> you're still going to be like, you know what? No, you're going to hold your ground. If your upper Mars tends to sag a little or it has a little droopiness or it doesn't have a lot of bounce, then you know you have a little bit of a you got to step up to the plate sometimes with other people and set your boundaries and make sure that you're resisting or you're working actively on learning resistance for yourself. Mm. Now, lower Mars is across the way and lower Mars is hanging out with Venus ever so um, perfectly, I guess. Mars and Venus, the lovers. <laughs> I know. Um, so Venus actually encircles that whole um, pad around the thumb. So you can kind of gauge your Venus levels by looking at that big, big pad there. Um, but Lower Mars is a little hard to identify from the rest of Venus, but if you kind of just tuck your thumb in towards your hand and, you know, um, see this little pouch that's like, like right kind of up there at the top of Venus and you tap it, you'll know if you have a little bit of a temper, if you're, if you're, if you're willing to strike and that's like your primal Mars, uh, that's lower Mars there, right? Um, mm. But if it's flat, then you know you're not super aggressive. You don't have, maybe that doesn't really reside within you. Um, I definitely have one. I have both, but I have Mars around the Ascendant. I don't know. So I'm not surprised. Suppose, you, you might appreciate this that I was reading in the, um, well, because I had another, so I got the the $2 Fred Gettings, the book of the hand, right? Um, right. At, the, at the library. And, okay. So, you know, you get one book. I don't know if you're like me, you get one book and then all of a sudden you have like 50. Um, <laughs> How did that happen? So I totally forgot I had this book, another book by Fred Gettings, and it's The Hand and the Horoscope. Stop. I need that. That I'm telling you, my thrift store finds like... Look at that font. Oh my God. I know. Like it's, it's an old book. It's from 1974. It's but I feel like you would really get a kick out of um, something he said in here, which I probably can't find the page, so I'm just going to go off memory. Hopefully it's right. <laughs> Um, but he was saying, so, okay, so Mac was just talking about 
So basically, say you're looking at your right hand um, and we are looking at the Mount of Venus, which is that, that bottom right portion below the thumb. And then there's that, uh, that Mars and that you said that was the uh, lower Mars, right? Mm-hmm, yes, right. lower Mars that is kind of tucked in between that Venus. And then above that, it's that Jupiter Mount, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just below the, uh, the forefinger. Okay. So what he was saying was, uh, he was like kind of piecing it out, um, to kind of align with the beginning of the Zodiac. So here we have our, our Mount of Mars, um, and being uh, part of Aries and kind of representing that first house of the self, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and then below that, obviously in succession, then we go into Taurus and Venus. And so Venus is right below it on the hand, right? And so it'll represent more of that, um, of matter. So if we have the self, we have the self in the middle, we have the matter of Venus below it. And then above it, if we go back into, uh, you know, Pisces and, uh, old traditional rulers of Jupiter, Jupiter which is the spirit sits above that. And so he was putting this little trifecta together of, you know, kind of this, you know, the uh, near the thumb of your hand that was, yeah, spirit, you know, self body. And then the, and then the matter and then those two put together. So, um, that's interesting too. (laughs) Cool. I love that perspective. I've got to get that book. I know. Yes, definitely get, definitely get that book. I'll take a picture. I have to take a picture of it because I love the cover. It's so great. Oh my God. Um, So neat. Yes. Oh, so I guess to finish off, we just have to finish with the moon. Because I guess at the time that palmistry was being done, right, there was only like the seven visible planets. So that's what they right. applied. So there's no Uranus or Neptune or Pluto. Although there's people out there saying something like that. I don't know if it's real or what, but uh, I was reading uh, the other day. She's like, and on your Uranus mount? And I'm like, who, who put Uranus mounts in here? <laughs> How did this happen? I, I am prone to pish posh that, but... Uh, <laughs> yes, I, well, I'm pishing with you, so... <laughs> Let us pitch posh upon that. Um, yeah, I stick with the seven, you know. The seven have got us this far. We can trust yes, that. Yes, right. You know? The seven yeah. traditional planets. So then we have the moon, last but not least, who resides in the left-hand side of the palm, on, on your right hand, I should say. Um, and the moon is right beneath uh, upper Mars. So it, it kind of takes up a pretty big space, right? Um, it's hard to find. A lot of people have different shaped moons. Some are like really big and you know, they're kind of more dreamy types that are kind of more prone to like sit on the couch and just dream. And if it's a really mushy moon too, if it doesn't have a firm, yeah. they're kind of just be like, my therapist, I'll, I'll never forget the day I shook my therapist's hand because, you know, shaking hands is a great way to get energy read on somebody. Yes. You feel the mounts right away. So the first day I shook my therapist's hand, I was like, let's see if this is going to work out. And it was just like, he was so lunar and I could tell from his whole body, you know, his whole demeanor that he was lunar. And I just shook his hand and I felt that little lunar mount. And I was just like, I was like, Oh yeah, you sit in a chair all day and, and, you know, kind of philosophize and dream up. And I was like, you know, here we are three years later. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He worked out. (laughs) Um, But like, it's so funny how you can just kind of gauge certain elements about people through this kind of archetypal realm. So yeah, but those are like the seven mounts and, they are magical. Yeah. Because you can tell so much about like, you were just saying like how, you know, how developed is it? How maybe flabby is it? Like my mount of mercury is huge. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like both my mercury. Well, it's so funny because my mercury and my Jupiter mount are huge. Um, and you Would know, you I, hold mercury, up your hand? I, want to see. I have a mercury Jupiter uh, oh, yeah. I have a Mercury-Jupiter conjunction in Leo, which is all about being huge. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so it's kind of funny how that that worked out. And, and you have the Apollo double mount. Do you see you have the double yeah. mount? Of yes. Apollo? Well, that's kind of what I, you were saying when I was like, yeah. oh, is it on either side there? Yeah, I have a bunch yeah. of Apollo lines and, um, you know, because I do, I'm an artist. So look at your lifeline is so vital and nice. Thanks. Well, let's talk about that actually, yeah. because that is actually, you know, some of the first things people will say and they're like, you know, because they know. So you basically you have those main lines. You have your lifeline, which goes across, um, kind of wraps around your thumb. Um, it circles and, Venus. Is, and, yes, exactly. And circles Venus. Uh, and then above that, that goes across the hand is the headline. And then above that, once more, is the heart line. Mm-hmm. And then some people will have a fate line that goes up, like kind of originates from the bottom of the palm and goes up through the hand, like towards the Saturn finger or yeah. Apollo or Jupiter. It just depends. Not everyone has them in that traditional way, including myself. I don't have that. Do you have, do you have a really I defined know. fate line? I do. Oh. But it stops at 40, so I'm nervous. No, <laughs> no see, palmists and astrologers, are, we're, all, we're always paranoid, but we're getting through it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got You got to get through it. Um, cloud through paranoia. Yeah. So okay. So so Mackenzie just said, "Oh, you have a really vital lifeline." Okay. Mm-hmm. So your lifeline, because some people are going to have a lifeline that is just like kabaya, and then others are going to be like, "Where? Where is it? Where can I?" <laughs> it seems to drop yes. off a little bit, and so that is not how long you are going to live. That is not. <laughs> That is not a thing. Not how that works. It doesn't Thank work God. that way. That would be um, horrible. Could you imagine would. if that was really the case? Yeah. But I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong or add to it, of course, but it's more about like the vitality that you have at in your person and a presence, like how much, you know, zest and enthusiasm you have for life. Exactly. It's more, I've always been taught that to memorialize it as how long energy is a gift. Um, it, you know, it starts to, it starts to fade. You'll ne- you'll never have a guarantee with a lifeline. You've, you'll see hands like short lifelines that have outlived the, the timeline or long lifelines that have died. It, it's, it's not a great gauge. Um, it really just tells you that you, you have energy longer at certain points and you can tell when, you know, as the line, as you get older, you'll, you'll see changes in it. You'll see changes in color and depth and all these different elements. There's so much that we, we can't cover because it's just like, Oh yeah. Huge, this would be a, like a, this would be like a, like a five hour conversation. More than that. It'd probably be like a 12 part <laughs> podcast basically. Yes. It'd be insane. Even like really get in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but so that like, I agree completely that the lifeline really is just, it's an energetic gift and it, it's a good marker of how you should take care of yourself. If, if you are one of those people that has kind of a, a lifeline that's a little thin and wispy and, you know, compared to Mel's, who's like oh, super dark, but we should send in our hands for people to see if they want to compare lines. Um, it helps kind of have the visual elements certainly in this. Um, yeah. But a really thin lifeline, you should take it easy. Make sure you're taking care of yourself, checking on your vitality. You know, you're going you're gonna to be the person that needs that rest and water more as more than like the people with really defined, thick, deep lifelines that are going to have they're going to have like just natural vitality. They're going to, their body's going to take care of them. So you can gauge things like that, I would say, uh, yeah. rather than just like, this is how long I'm going to live. Oh God, you know? No. Yeah. No, don't even, don't, don't even go don't there. Freak yourself out. Oh. <laughs> you or other people don't mm-hmm. end up like the two fingered man in the park. Tell me. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but you, it, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because like myself being a full moon baby, like uh, mm. full moons just in nature, we have more, 
vitality at our disposal, you know, because the moon is full and bright. There's just more energy that's there. And I think that relates to the hand. And, and what right. you were saying kind of in the beginning of the conversation, how we can look at the horoscope and look at our hand and in these areas that we were talking about and see how they're, they're developed um, or how they develop or how they morph over time, you know, mm-hmm. because if we think about transits to the charge or how things progress and that and that, like I have a square because that's the thing is you can have lines and markings on these mounts and on these fingers and on the palm and all that, um, that, you know, show up over time or disappear over time. And like, I have, I now have a square of like a really prominent square on my mercury mount that was okay. never there until like a couple handful of years ago. Um, but that could speak to how my charts progressed, how I progressed as a person. And, and now that's coming into play more. And I can see that, um, that's clearly on my hand. That's so cool. And, uh, well, and so it's so funny. We skipped over kind of like the very like basis of like I was a thinking. type of hand. <laughs> I we got, it we got like went into the detail, like, let's get the details. <laughs> I know. Um, but there's different, okay, so there is a fire hand. There's an air hand. There's an earth hand. There is, who am I missing? There's a water hand. Water hand, yay. <laughs> yay. Yeah, we could briefly, really quickly kind yeah, of let's get, break catch that people down. up to speed about that. Uh, the earth, earth hands, right? They're really easy to notice because all four of these are pretty easy to define, luckily. It's not anything too complicated like what we're kind of talking about before. But earth hands are like squares. There's, you'll see a square palm. And there's differences. There's not just square and rectangular. Like you'll see a square, you'll see a rectangular when you're looking at palms. Um, and you'll notice if you compare hands with people, you'll be like, okay, no, oh, whoa, I actually do have a square where I thought I had a rectangle. Um, mm. So uh, earth hand is going to have a square palm and kind of shorter, studier fingers. Um, so that's the, like, the sign of the earth hand, right? short fingers, the square palm. Um, and typically they're kind of like thicker in consistency. Um, the earth hands are like earth signs, right? And they're kind of practical, reliable, self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And there's typically only a few basic lines. They're not like, I don't want to dumb it down, I guess, but it's, it's more like they're just trying to take care of the nitty gritty things in life. They're trying to just be practical. They're a little more emotionally stable. They don't really like change. Um, you know, kind of just the people, maybe they're like working on farms. That's like the real earth hand. That's like, yeah. Not just because they're working on a farm, I guess that's kind of dumb, but like, you know, they're just, they're out there just doing simple, living the simple life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's not all the other stuff getting in the way, right? So only yeah. the practical considerations um, that are taking place. And you'll see that because you'll look at an earth hand and then you'll look at like a water hand or like a fire hand or something. And you're like, and you're like, oh, God, what's going on in this person? <laughs> yeah. It's such a different, like, yeah, you'll see like the, the four major lines, maybe something else. And then there's nothing there. And you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair to see Earth Hand too, because Earth Hand's not the kind of person that's going to be coming to look for, um, you know, healthy yes. astrology in the first exactly. place. They're kind of more like, whatever. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, doing their things. And then so we have Air Hands that are also the other square palm. Um, it's a very defined square, not a rectangle. And it has longer fingers. Um, and that's kind of just like the air sign. It tends to be a little more intellectual, curious, um, interested in communications, drawn to writing and, you know, all forms of exchange in that capacity. Do you have anything to add on air hands? Well, you know, that's a, well, cause let, let's compare between the earth and the air there because, uh, basically, you know, they both have the square palm, right? But the thing mm-hmm. that is differentiating that energy is the fingers and the fingers, um, at least in, uh, 
Fred Getting's book, he was uh, talking about the kind of the three worlds of palmistry, um, where the bottom of the hand, um, like kind of like where that that Mars mount that we were talking about below uh, before. So basically, from there and down is the uh, the vegetabilis part of the hand. <laughs> Did you say that three times fast? And so that's more of like, kind of like those states where much like the Mount of the Moon, where it's like, you know, what's going, what's churning below the surface mm-hmm. you know, and kind of the motion or the unconscious self or like just bodily responses. It's the physical are, world, right? Yeah. It's well, kind of, it's like the underbelly of the physical, like the automated response or like the breathing, mm-hmm. you know, cause oh, we don't think that. to breathe, right? We don't intend to, it's just part of what it is. And so then that middle part that kind of goes from from above the vegetabala, I don't even know how to say that, um, to about where the mounts are below the fingers, that's the sensibilis. And so that's more of kind of like the the earthly world and the the physical, what we're doing out there, you know, uh, concerns with, you know, survival, staying alive, you know, what we need. But then we get into the rationabilis. <laughs> and so that's basically the, the, the mounts um, up and into the fingers. And so this is where I'm going with this because that is the world of mental thought. That is the exactly. world of more uh, maybe spirits or thinking about abstract principles or concepts. And so the longer someone's fingers are, the more they're going to be able to tap into this more mental sphere that is more speculative and conceptual than this down to earth, you know, the earthy science. And so that's why the earth hand, even though it has a square palm, it has those short fingers because it's not tapping into that where the air hand is still has that same, you know, thing going on, but their fingers are much, are longer and tapping into that air. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And long fingers take a lot more time to, if you like are living with someone with long fingers or you're close, close friends with long fingers, they need more time to make decisions. Often it's the, the short fingered people that like they get insight really quick and they're ready to go and they're like, you know, let's make a choice and let's, let's jump in. Long fingered person's going to be like, hold on, hold on. Like, yes, absolutely. And like <laughs> the fingers and not only the fingers, but the nail beds, because oh you can God. tell from the nail beds, like if you look at your nails, if you have those kind of long, elongated, like really pretty female nails, which I totally don't have, um, they, <laughs> they are what Mackenzie just said, like they need more time to deliberate and it has more of that logical process, right? Like reasoning, going back and forth, let's weigh all these options. Whereas if your nail bed is shorter or say it's kind of more wide than it is, you know, long, um, you're more instinctual. You might be more impulsive. You're more apt to be maybe a little bit rash about things and then mm-hmm. fly off the cuff a little bit. Um, and now if they're even, if they're kind of like just as long as they are wide, you know, you're kind of in between there, but you can say, you can tell a lot just by looking at someone's, you know, fingernail beds. It's insane. I, I just love it. It's, there's so much. It's like, it's magic. It is magic. Um, it's All right, so we have a fire hand and we have fire and water. And water. Okay, take it away. Yes, yeah, so our fire hand is that long rectangular palm. It's a very discernible difference between the rectangle and the square, right? So fire has that long rectangular palm, but with the short fingers, which are like receiving information and inspiration so fast. And that's why they're known for kind of boundless energy, you know, enthusiasm, adventure, this kind of dislike of routine. And they're very excitable. And kind of like being in charge a lot of the time. Um, that's the fire <laughs> hand. Oh, shocking. Says the uh, fire hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm an air hand. I'm just a simple air hand. Um, <laughs> I think a square hand is like so, just like, I'm a simple land. Um, 
but you know, the air, thank God for just like a little bit of air. Um, no, you so need I, have, I don't have any air in my chart either. This is kind of a funny thing to think about. I don't know if you've thought about this, but like, I have like, I just have Saturn in Aquarius and that's it. It's my only, my only air. It's barely aspecting anything. It's just kind of chilling out there. And I'm like, I got to remember to breathe, you know? <laughs> and so it's funny that my, my, actually my teacher was like, oh, you have like the perfect air hand. And she like took a picture of it and put it in a book. And I was like, wow, thanks. Um, but, you know, I was like, funny that I would have an air, air hand as someone with no, like barely any air. And someone in my class was like, well, we usually get what we need, right? And it's kind of funny that you kind of have this oh, as a, as a, comp, a compensor, compensatory, like, huh. I don't know, kind of thing. It's kind of cool sometimes. I like that out. a lot. I right? like that a lot. Because that helps, that helps like, you know, take, sp- <laughs> take some space off that discrepancy of like, wait, exactly. what do you mean? Like I, my chart's all fire and water and you're saying I have an air hand, you know? I, know. I was so, so confused hmm. by that. I like that. That's interesting. Right. So, yes. And then last but not least, we have the water hands and the water hand is pretty rare, I would say, but I've seen it a couple of times. The water hand has really long palm and really long, like, fingers that are just like very feminine and beautiful. And, and I've seen them in men too, but they're just like, wow, like really long, upward kind of motion, rectangular. Um, and they're the more, of course, watery, refined and sensitive and emotionally, you know, attuned, idealistic, almost to a fault yes. a little bit, mm-hmm. kind of Neptunian in a sense, um, and very feelingful and interested in the arts, um, but kind of tire a little more easily. They kind of need that kind of reset. Um, thinking of the Pisces moon that we're recording on today, you know, like yeah. <laughs> they got a Pisces moon at sometimes and just be like, I got to just go read and like permit it up. Um, yeah. so that's, that's the elemental hand approach. Um, since we kind of, we went off track with that and something else I wanted to mention really quick, actually, which was like, so, um, what I usually start with when I talk about palmistry, <laughs> we were backwards leave, today. <laughs> it out, um, is the fact that you have left and right hands, right? And one, yeah, is, I know. <laughs> one is dominant. I'm like, Oh no, we left that out. And I always was told, I don't know about you. Um, but I heard that the left is what the gods give you and the right is what you do with it. And now of course that's applicable to, if you are left hand dominant, that, then that becomes your right hand is the non-dominant. So you can apply that story to, you know, whatever your situation is, but if you're right-handed, the left's what the gods give you and the right's what you've done with it. So you can kind of tell what you've not fully developed to your full potential or kind of maybe you can tell what you've actually pushed past and what you've worked on developing. Um, mm. It's all kind of right there. And if, if it's all looking pretty similar, then, you know, maybe you're on the right path. Um, if your headline's longer and, you know, what the gods give you and it's not as long, like in my case. Uh, um, <laughs> and in the right hand, it's like, you know, my head, come on, little headline, let's go. And, I see that there's still growth to be made. Um, yeah. So you can always be like, okay, cool. One day I'll, I'll try to match you. Left hand headline. Yeah, no, I I learned the exact same thing. Like the like, basically, we have that um, kind of inherent potential, right? You know, the God's gift um, in whatever's your non-dominant hand, and then you know what you make of it in your your dominant hand or hand or how it's kind of played out um, in in life. Um, and another way you might be able to look at it too that I've heard um, is the dominant hand will show you know what you're putting out there into the world, and that that less dominant or or the left for many of us is going to be more kind of like that fourth house of the chart where it's living underneath only the people that see you know it the most like you know you're like like your mom might see it or your you know your partner or something um 
or it could just be something that's living deep within you. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it has that. So essentially what we're saying either way for that is there's something that lives kind of within the inner realm um, and more of the spiritual and uh, kind of like uh, personal, very personal to oneself uh, versus what am I putting out in the world? What do other people see me as? What have I accomplished? What am I recognized for? And so that's what we can see in that dominant. I love that little fourth house, 10th house. Right? Fourth house, 10th house. That's That's a cool way to think about it. The the only reason I'm thinking about that right now is because we took on this topic and like putting, so, okay, so to, to like kind of recap a little bit what we're, we're saying there um, is we're seeing these correlations. You know, we have these fingers, we have these mounts that are all lining with these planetary energies that are about the same. Um, we have the type of hands that we were talking about that are aligning with the elemental energies mm-hmm. um, of, you know, fire, earth, air, water. Um, and so there's so much crossover um, between, you know, the, astrology and palmistry there really it's are it's yeah incredible. and um to play to your air hand real quick when we we're talking about the fingers because the water hand i used to play in a band with a, a girl that has like the quintessential water hand like it almost oh. looks like its own spider because yes. you know what i mean like it's it's very like it's almost cartoonish the way that it's like long and lean and and watery like you shake your hand and you're like have you're to wipe like, it oh, off God. afterwards <laughs> She'd always like it, that it was hard to play because her hands would like profuse, you know, liquid wow. in a way That's that amazing. would like, you know, make it slippery. Um, wow. But you can actually tell through those fingers, those elongated fingers, how refined someone is. Because you brought up that term of refinement uh, mm-hmm. through like the air and uh, same with water. Because the longer your fingers are, the more refined of a person you're probably going to be. You're going to be interested in like more uh, beauty or like being of this, um, you know, intellectual sphere or mm-hmm. versus someone who's like, I don't care about that or like you know right. <laughs> like when you see someone with the heavy venus or the heavy mars yeah. or a heavy moon like i get scared of men especially in the city you know because i'm just always peeping people's hands and vibes and like mm. i see men with like super big venus super big moon i'm like oh boy you know they're always at the bars or you know they're just that's like, hilarious bars in the daytime you're like that's a big moon in venus i think i'm gonna get out of here <laughs> i have a good friend of mine uh i have a good friend of mine who has that exact situation and oh my gosh like we 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 have levels that we rank him on that of intoxication yes that he will that's, get that's to the sensual realm of the hand i mean that's like venus the moon and that's when a lot of, like you were saying it's kind of like that undercurrent too i i come to know it as like I see sensual and it sometimes it creeps me out and I'm just like, okay, you know, that's a little too sensual for me. Like a nice amount, but when it's like <laughs> overflowing and you'll see on some people, I'm just like, okay, it's a little bit too much of the sensual world for me. Right. Because kind of the fatter the hand is like, I mean, as far as like those really developed mounts and everything's like kind of puffy is like, those mm-hmm. people are like, you're saying very sensual, very um, like, let me eat the whole buffet. I'll go back five times, you know, like it's like yes. it, 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 it takes and yes. brings in more, it wants more, it's um, consuming more. Um, Very much. So it's indulgent, I guess, is the word we're looking for here. It is, exactly. And a refinement, another just like quick tip of... Um something for gauging someone's refinement is to touch very lightly the back of the hand and you can have construction workers you know you'd think they'd have rough hands but Mm. if you touch the back of the hand it could be refined or it could be coarse and there's like gradients of this but 
I think I'm like medium refined. I used to be more refined, but I've lived in this damn city 10 years. I've become, ah. you got to become coarse at some point. It so really like, literally toughens your skin up. Isn't that like a term? Like, <laughs> it you know. makes you a terrible person. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it's thick skin. So I've developed, I used to, I swear in my earlier twenties, I was a kind woman. And now I am one of, <laughs> now I am one of just medium refinement. And I'm like, okay, I can work with medium refinement. You know, you can always touch someone's back of the hand. If it's super, super soft, like just like the softest little paper, you're like, oh my God, you're so sensitive. And if it's really coarse, you know that someone's there, they're not going to care about, you know, they can be gruff and um, less emotionally involved in that kind of capacity. So always gauge refinement. Yeah, because that's actually something that we didn't touch on was the fact of of the skin itself, because that helps you define a hand too, like those earth hands. Like when you touch it, you're going to be actually be able to feel the ridges that are part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's in the whole other aspect of it too, like that she's saying is that um, you know, like, like maybe those air hands would have a little more of a papery type of skin, right? Like it's kind of like a paper texture or totally. different textures and in, in different yeah. grades. And that will tell you a lot about the person as well. So it's, it's, I mean, I guess from our conversation here, or we have determined that is way more complicated than probably most people think. <laughs> it's so true. There, it's so complex and it, it's ever fascinating. And that's probably why we dove into it because it, it, when it takes a hold of you, it takes a hold of you. It's like, it, it does. Right. Just like astrology. You know? Cause well, it, it yeah. let us in. It let us in. Yeah. And then I you know. want more and then you're like, Oh, astrology. What's this? And then you go, oh, then you're drowning. Then you're drowning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Right. Um, well, and I think I'm going to start, if I can remind myself, I'm trying to remind myself, I think starting with this interview, I'm going to start a little question for each guest of like, how they got into what, what led the spark? How did you get into this? Like what, because people are discovering this every day and it's very, I think it'll be very eye opening to see what sparks different people into, you know, an initiation into this realm. And even like what age, because you were saying, you know, you were rather young with uh, like your motives for why you were wanting to look at these types of things, you know, kind of those teenage motives. Um, But it was still kind of what initiated you into, um, your interest with it, uh, that is now, uh, I'm sure will be a lifelong passion, um, you know, work Absolutely. for you. Yeah. You can't look away. Once you know hands to you are here, you can't ever unsee them. Oh no, you won't. <laughs> you will look at someone saying something and then you will pause the video. You will zoom in until you can see as much, <laughs> it'll as, much get as, as much as you can, as much yep. as you can. Um, <laughs> and it is totally addictive. So, yes. all right. Well, you know, we could literally talk forever on this. Um, and I just love talking to Mackenzie because she's just a total sweetheart. Um, and so, but where can, where can people find you? Where, what do you got going on? Yeah. Oh my God. So a lot lately. Um, if you guys want to follow me, I am Mac and the Zodiac on Instagram. I'm Mac with a K. So M-A-C-K and the Zodiac. Um, also my website is macandthezodiac.com. Same spelling. I do readings. I do synastry. You know, I do solar returns, anything you're interested in. And I'm also looking to teach for the first time a six week long online beginners course in astrology coming soon. So that'll be really cool. So just come find me. I'm just Mac and the Zodiac. If you ever need book recommendations for palmistry, I've got plenty, got a lot of, lot of things. We can maybe just list them on your, um, the yeah, no, we will cool. discuss this because I Perfect. want to. Cool. <laughs> Yes, well, we'll compare our days. large book collections, I'm sure. Yes. So yeah, that's that's me. You can come find me if you want. I'm Mackenzie Greer. And thank you so much for having me. This Absolutely. Is so cool. so, 
Now, do you do, can you do, uh, do you only do palms in person or is that something that you can do um, remotely? It is something I can do remotely. If the person can follow some basic steps with photography, you'd be surprised. Um, but yeah, it is something that people can do. Um, we just like, kind of got to walk you through the basics. I don't have it listed on my site, but if you email me, we can set something up. It's it's something I've been way more astrology centric. So it's fun yeah. to be reminded of palmistry today. I'm like, oh man, I should set up a palmistry thing. Um, so maybe I will do that after this conversation and I'll walk you through steps. You can send pictures or we can meet in person if you live in New York and we can go through my kind of readings and rates for palmistry. Perfect. I, I do sometimes I do events for palmistry too. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm so glad we got to share that. And of course, so we're going to share these pictures. I'm going to share Mackenzie's information uh, in her email there too. So you can just reach out um, if you want to find out more. Um, And so where can you do that? Well, you can find me over at energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at energeticprinciples. And of course, if you think people need to hear that uh, there's this wonderful world of palmistry out there that not a lot of people are talking about... (laughs) uh, Hopefully we've demystified a little bit of it today that or maybe opened the door to some interest, uh, much like how we got initiated ourselves into the whole thing. Um, so, you know, share the podcast with a friend, uh, leave a nice review and help it get seen further, um, you know, things along those lines. And of course, uh, like Mackenzie, I also do consultations as well. So you can reach out about that. Um, and if you want to support the podcast, you know, there is a Patreon. I got patreon.com backslash energetic principles. And I do have a tip jar on my front page of my website. So if you just want to be a one generous one-time Jupiter giver, you know, you can do that as well. So, all right, Mackenzie, well, you were such a pleasure. I'm glad the universe has brought us together. Thank you. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. And thank you so much for tuning in. Can't do it without you. I love my listeners. So, all right, everyone have a fabulous week. And as always, may the stars be with you.